This is a news laundry podcast. Welcome to NL Hafta. Was the Pathan Court operation a failure or a success? Is odd even working or not? Is Malda not getting the coverage it deserves? And there's lots of other stuff as well. This is News Laundry Hafta, episode 49. I'm Abhinandan Sekri. Angrez apna lagan or News Laundry apna hafta kabhi nahi chhodte. We have with us uh, our guest Ajay Shukla. Hi Ajay. Hi, how are you? Very well. He is a journalist and retired colonel of the Indian Armed Forces. Good afternoon, sir. And Aram I said se. <laughs> uh, he retired from the Armed Forces in 2001. He joined NTV as a war correspondent and significantly he covered the Afghanistan Iraq wars, am I correct? That's right. I see. And he's a defense policy expert uh, on production and acquisition. He currently works as the consulting editor with Business Standard, writing on strategic affairs, defense and diplomacy. Welcome, Colonel Shukla. Thanks a lot, Abhinandan. Thank you. And we have Madhu. Hi, Madhu. Hi. Manisha. Hello. Arunab. Hello. And this podcast is produced by Kartik Najhavan. Uh, Anand Ranganathan uh, could not join us today because he has some pressing matters to attend to at home, but I'm sure he'll be back very soon. We miss you, Anand. Uh, now, welcome, Ajay. Uh, how was the week in news before we discuss the specific Pathan quote which you have written extensively about? What do you think was underreported or overreported the last week? Well, uh Pathankot has certainly been overreported because it's something that should have been a relatively small item, but because of various mistakes and various sort of uh, ill-considered steps, seems to have become into this debacle, which uh, has occupied everyone's attention, which has completely polarized viewers between you know this hard right-wing uh, group, which is becoming increasingly vocal, especially on social media. Mm and between people who are trying to do a more balanced analysis. Also Could journalists. we go through some of the mistakes? Well, uh, I, I, I assume that the viewers would, or the, the, the listeners would, would uh, be having an idea. Yeah, of, they yeah. have the context, most okay. of them know. So, I mean, we can explain a little more detail if required, but yeah. So you have uh, basically a situation where you have a cross-border terrorist strike. A handful of terrorists come in from Pakistan to hit a target. And clearly, by the way this was sequenced in the, in the development of India-Pakistan dialogue, uh, this was designed to hit at the, the newfound friendship, I should call it, between mm. Nawaz Sharif and Prime Minister Narendra Modi. Right. Uh, after Narendra Modi dropped in on him in Lahore mm-hmm. over Christmas. So talks are back on track. They needed to be derailed because the jihadis never like talks to be uh, sort of continuing. They are the big losers in talks. So you send in a a, a terror package, as they call it, Uh, six jihadis with, you know, all willing to to work their way to paradise uh, by hitting a target. And the difference this time was that we knew they were there. We knew they were coming. And we had a level of intelligence that you never normally get uh, through communication intercepts, through uh, various sort of uh, source-based uh, conversations that take, took place on the border. And then finally, so bizarrely... who was responsible for ignoring those, uh, that intel? Well, I'll just come to that. Mm-hmm. But the most bizarre thing in this entire episode was the fact that the superintendent of police of... Pathankot district hmm. went into an ambush laid by the terrorists right. and physically encountered them, talked to them, was caught by them, tied up by them and thrown by the side of the road and gone. And then he was able to work himself free 
and then came and reported and came back looking in really good shape very good shape for an sp who's been uh, <laughs> roughed up and they tried to kill now, him now sp's story without going into that story uh, for the time being which also the, needs to be questioned which is many questions <laughs> <laughs> the the big point was that you had physically corroborated evidence of the presence of terrorists by none other than the superintendent of police of the district himself Hmm. And you had this time to react, and you had the time to strengthen up all the likely terrorists. And what is the time difference from the time he reported this to their? He entry? ran into this ambush at 3:30 a.m. Hmm. He was. We should also congratulate this SP. He is probably the first superintendent of police hmm. who, on New Year's night, was going to a, a place of worship huh. in his own private car huh? with a jeweler friend and a cook. <laughs> <laughs> Happy New Year! Huh? I mean, I've seen it all now. <laughs> so uh, anyway, he came back by about dawn, seven o'clock or so. He was he worked himself free, and he came back and said, "Baba, aisa hua." Huh. And then, according to the, the 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 narrative put out by the Punjab police, nobody believed him because he's just the SP. Because just <laughs> Maybe because of other but also reputation an SP factors. With a bit of a colourful reputation. Reputation factors. So SP Saab, nobody is willing to talk to or believe. They were questioning him. They caught hold of the cook, started torturing him, <laughs> and saying, you know, tell us the real story. This is obviously not true, and so on. So all this while, the clock is ticking. Hmm. and time is passing and the terrorist attack is coming nigh and this is all being fed back to none other than our national security advisor mr ajit doval himself hmm. who being a intelligence man himself says no 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 this is you know find out more now all this time the whole morning of the second of the first i beg your pardon hmm. went in trying to make sense of the sp story hmm and then instead of moving troops over there strengthening the key terrorist targets like the pathan court air base which was eventually attacked right i mean everybody knew that was the prime terrorist target mm. there they had next door cantonment with some 50000 troops in it mm. india's biggest cantonment pathan court mm. the biggest cantonment mm. uh they could have moved troops from there none of this was done so at night or evening or sometime thereabouts uh, around sundown the when the attack happened entered and then from there the story gets even better he then rings up his mum in bahawalpur hmm. and says ma main you know jannat ja raha hu aur ab maine socha aapse baat karu and she says beta roti khana you know a punjabi mother a punjabi mother that's a resident indian mother desi mother correct so so yeah okay you know hard as it is to believe and you know we we've, we've seen and please feel free to jump in i just had you know one one bit it is being touted as a success also by many journalists in fact we're doing a piece seeing how many journalists have called it a success what is the premise being given there like why was this so successful you know calling as this as from indian point of view i'm saying calling this a success is really trying to salvage something from what is an abysmal failure if in normal circumstances hmm. a group of terrorist comes where you don't have any intelligence at all a group of terrorists manages to sneak in and attacks a heavily defended military target and kills seven people hmm. 
uh, it would be considered just six terrorists, seven security forces killed. It would be considered a failure by any rational military standards because of the number of casualties they have, that, have, that were caused. Mm -hmm. But I guess what has been done in order to paint this failure in the colors of success... Could have been worse. Is that it could have been worse. Yeah. You know, the planes could have been blown up. The, the you know, the, the her attack helicopters could have been blown up. There's always something worse that like could the, have the happened. The classic econ economist's arguments that, you know, this hasn't worked, it hasn't led to jobs. But had we not done it, it would have been worse. Yes, exactly. So, or like pollution. Or air pollution. Had we not done the or even number, it would have been worse. But that, I think it and it's have. already bad. <laughs> but... Uh, Okay, sorry, anyone uh, come in with any of the pieces uh, that you have read on this? Actually, on your piece in the Business Standard, you pointed the fact that a lot of the journalists that were calling it a success are just cultivated uh, cheerleaders of Mr. Doval. Um, I had a question on, uh, journalistically, when you're covering such an operation, there was um, Gaurav Savant of India Today who wrote a piece and who also tweeted out that you shouldn't be asking questions of the military on why it's taking so long. That's not a good question to ask. So, what is your view on that? When such an operation takes place and, and you have the unique position so long, of, of being a military man and a reporter both. Hmm. Should you be, is that an irrational question to ask when... You see, uh, as a broad matter of principle, uh, it is always best to leave the military to do what they are doing and ask the questions at a certain point in time when it's clearly not making a difference to the operations at hand. But here, it's not the questions that started first. What started first was a series of motivated tweets put out by a bunch of uh, establishment-connected uh, journalists that what a marvelous job Ajit Doval is doing. So the conversation had already started. That conversation was then joined by none other than the Home Minister, the Defense Minister, and the Prime Minister in quick succession who tweeted the successful conclusion of the operation. Now, at that stage, I guess it's legitimate to start asking questions. If the corporation has been declared closed by none other than your elected head of government, then I guess you can, you're, you're free to start asking questions. Especially when the operation resumes the next morning after a Mahabharat-like night halt. I mean, one, one is uh, sort of, as a, as a military professional, mm -hmm. I'm appalled to find that nothing happened that whole night because night is when the security forces operate at their maximum advantage. You have night vision devices, which the terrorists don't. You have ways of, you have familiarity with that terrain, which the terrorists don't. So they should have cleaned up that night. But the next morning, gunfire started again. Gunfire again. I think so I think just to, to, to sort of finish my answer to your question, in normal circumstances, when an operation is going on, let the operation finish before starting the post-mortem. But here the operation was declared closed and therefore the post-mortem I think was quite legitimate. But even then, uh, uh, Ajay, what happens is that uh, everybody seems to be trigger happy as you're saying. And, it's, and journalists are right in asking questions but as you're saying during an operation, I think there should be a complete standoff that don't, don't uh, there seems to be more media management attention on the government side than focusing on the operations themselves. I mean, should the Home Minister be tweeting, should the Prime Minister, why aren't they just focusing on the work being done? And um, a lot of the times, I think they feel that they have to give answers.
whereas the army should not have to give answers at any given stage. If they want to say that we are not commenting now, they should feel strong in saying that. But somehow we've never heard that. They always give some answer and sometimes it's just total Although bullshit answers. I think answers. that's not how it happens in the US, right? I mean, it uh, does happen in the US. There are daily briefs. There are daily briefs, the but, the, but if you watch those briefs, they're extremely limited information. Sure, fair enough. No, that wasn't happening this time, was no, it? No, the thing is, there no, should the be. No, the point a, is that they. What I'm saying is that the army, whoever's in charge of the operations, time should give limited information, should give information as need be, especially for so that citizens know what to be, uh, uh, how to secure themselves. Not if they're in areas that ha they have to be careful, careful of. But to just have random question answers on tweets. But that's what they want, the army work. doesn't, but I think there is, I think all, uh, you know, establishments should look at something called, you know, the, I mean, what, let's, let's just call it, the, the contingency of inevitability. When you have no information, in a hugely connected world we live in, Someone will invent information, put it out there. It is inevitable. The inevitability of coverage has to be acknowledged, which is why the briefing, it could be very brief, basic, but you have to have brief, because yeah. if you don't have that. I agree, you if have to have briefing, but you have to give the information. That, that if they don't give press way. conferences, that no one is going to report anything, no, you're wrong. I think it briefings, are, the, briefings the, are important, the, but they have to be more cautious. They yeah, just, but they have to be there. Let me make a point here. The initiative, lies entirely with the government and the security forces. How far away to keep the correspondence? How far away to allow cameras to come? What to say in your official releases? How much exposure to give or how much not to give? All of that is in the hands of the government and the government you know, sets the agenda in a way rather than the media setting the agenda. The media is only trying to work with what it is permitted to do by the government in terms of access, in terms of approach, in terms of being able to see what is going on over there. So I think what we have seen here is not uh, an example of an over-eager media. Oh, there is a bit of that, I admit of an over-eager media trying and sort of imposing its agenda on an, on, on an ongoing operation. But I would say rather that what you have seen over here is an ill-considered media strategy where journalists have been allowed and given access to certain uh, sort of pieces of information connected with the operation in the hope that it will reflect favorably on the people concerned. And I'm speaking clearly and unambiguously of National Security Advisor Ajit Doval yes, over here. Have. Tweeted who, that yes, who who, as well. who, uh, who who sort of was feeding information to Ajay, his after the Mumbai siege, mm -hmm. has there been a white paper created by the government, either by the UPA or now, on how uh, situations like this should SOP. be dealt with in terms of the media? I mean, have, yes. have they made a thing of what is to be allowed, what is not to be allowed? I don't know if they've made a white paper, but they have this crisis management group which is uh, a structure at the central level and at the level of the state governments already, headed by the cabinet secretary at the center and the state chief secretaries, respectively. Uh, they, they have prepared standard operating procedures for crises. And amongst those standing operating procedures are guidelines for media management as well. The problem is, Having prepared this little document, like all government it, documents, yeah. it has gone into a file. It didn't seem it implemented. It has never been updated. Yeah. And it was not used in this particular it, Clearly, crisis. because if you see, uh, you're younger than me, so maybe you won't know. 
but the Vietnam War when it played out for the first time a war being shown on television sets cre created a huge furor in America for the anti-Vietnam movement but the army the armed services in America learned from that experience which you then saw in subsequent wars in the Gulf War and every other war in the Middle East that Americans have been involved in um, everything is stage managed. Their, their, their propaganda everything arm is, very, is stage very managed. So with their briefings they know what they're going to give, what they're not going to give, where they embed a uh, journalist and if you're, you're okay we'll take you to the fighting and they'll take you to a staged fighting area and bring you back. Okay so you could see that there was an impact they learned from the coverage where it was you know cameras were right in the front of the of uh, the jungles and everything and people were, you could see uh, young men being killed all of that finished you never saw an american ex body again yeah. in fact but they don't even show bodies and they come in i had a related question sorry after that uh, arunab and manisha come in um you know, you were talking about establishment journalists doing Vavaki they quit the successful logi, and that led to a post-mortem. I was just curious, is this a new development? A established journalists going, you know, hammer and tongs praising the government? That's the first part of my question. If you could answer that, then I'll answer, ask the second part. I think uh, there has always been some form of this in the sense that there have always been some journalists who have been more friendly with the powers that be. Right. But what we are seeing for the first time now... So in NSA terms, of course, there have been, you know, PM... Yeah, I mean, yeah. there have always been, was, you know, he's a military. connected journalist, ah, you know. But now, this connection is being used in a symbiotic manner... Never before, you ...for think. personality propagation. In this case, Doval was, was clearly propagating himself, and the journalists concerned, who were being given access in the information, were being very careful to say national security advisor Ajit Doval. Sure. Now you think this is because, because you know, I have like while I agree that there is a lot of this happening, I'm not sure it is so much to do with, and everyone please feel free to jump in, to do with the government at the center as it is about technology. You know, but with Twitter, like earlier, even if I was working with News Track, let's say I was working with Madhu, I mean, what do I think? Who knows? My bulletin will go to Durdarshan. First, Madhu will see it, she will cut it, edit it, then someone in Durdarshan will see it, cut it, edit it. So there was no Twitter, so it didn't matter what I said. Is it, is it, is it technology and it would have been the same no matter who was... Because now I as a journalist can say, well done, Mr. Doval, well done. You know, 20 journalists who have 40,000 people following. That kind of uh, matrix of... Changes everything. Of, well, there has certainly been a democratization of information. Right, so you think asking. it's a technology-driven so, thing or is it... A government-specific thing? It's a combination of both. There is both at work. Okay. The government is certainly far more, and we're talking about the current government, right. far more personality-oriented and personality-projecting than previous governments that we've had. Narendra Modi cannot be said to be more reticent than Manmohan Singh. Right. Uh, and the same is true at the national security advisor level. There's an element, uh, uh, an inherent tendency to personality propagate here. Let's call it the chappan syndrome. There is also the, yeah, there is also the fact that when a tweet goes out, it just races across, it multiplies its 
different sort of uh, sources of opinion come in. There are those who will propagate that. There are those who will support that. There are those who will slam that. Yeah, so it just Twitter, becomes a very vitiated sir, debate. I, I saw a lot of attacks to you also that you are an arms lobbyist and mm. yevo and that yeah, is why you are criticizing. Amongst my many uh, sort of Are you labels. a consultant for any arms dealer in any case? I have never been a consultant for an arms dealer. Okay. It also says that I ran away from the army. Okay. I'm AWL, absent without leave. Okay. <laughs> I clarify that I'm a pension drawing <laughs> ORAP. Did you protest for ORAP? ORAP, which is why I try not to write on ORAP. Right, because you are I a direct be, beneficiary. Be, uh, yeah. So you are not uh, representing any arms co company never. or anything? So Furthermore, huh. the pattern of my writing, as anybody who reads me knows, is that I'm strongly in favor of indigenization. And I have objected to every major arms deal, including the Rafael medium fighter contract. Hmm. But that comes up as now, you know, because Doval cancelled the Rafael deal, which he didn't. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I am uh, you were getting back Boeing. at him. <laughs> no, because I was, I was apparently re uh, representing, representing Rafael. Achha, okay, okay, Rafael. So this is okay. all. This is what Twitter does. It can make. You know, so so Ajay, Ajay, tell me, what do you think uh, a good person, uh, like how would you suggest Ajit, how should he have done it? He should have, first of all, called up the, the cabinet secretary and asked the cabinet secretary to convene the national crisis group, the crisis management group, the CMG. That would have brought together a whole bunch of people that didn't from happen. a different field. It didn't happen. Doval controlled the whole operation from his office. That would have brought together a different bunch of people. Different opinions would have been fed into the decision-making process. Uh, I'm sure that somebody would have raised the point that the NSG, while it was a good idea to keep them on standby, the actual operations that were required to be done should have been done by the army. Uh, but in, when you don't have this consultative decision-making process, then you're asking for these ad hoc and, and uh, ill-considered decisions. Okay, we'll just move on to the other stories, but before that, do I that... I have one question yeah, sure. for Karl Shukla. <clears throat> well, while uh, he has been very critical of uh, the backroom boys, there's one piece I read in the Telegraph yesterday who was very critical of, uh, uh, um, of the NSG and uh, Colonel, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Lee Kinnadanjan himself. It, it calls him an act of stupidity that led to his death. Uh, do you? Th I mean, uh, what really happened there? Although, as you had pointed out, the energy is uh, you know, equipped to deal with most precise situations. But uh, something as simple as a booby trap, I'd imagine that's that's something that an energy commando is equipped to deal with and is trained to deal with. Did they have remote control, uh, remote control robots with them at that point, or do, does the energy have access to remote control uh, robots to deal with uh, booby traps? Well, the equipment and the technology is there. But inevitably, when you find yourself thrown into an operational situation, then the best laid plans start fragmenting and you find that you're operating ad hoc and you're operating with what you have at that point in time. And especially when uh, the Prime Minister has announced the evening before that the operation is over, you can bet your last buck that pressure is being applied on you to quickly finish. Jaldi karo. So that's when operational mistakes start getting made. Now, I would not like to comment on this particular issue and whether uh, you know the person was, was uh, sort of uh, guilty of making an operational error. But speaking in broad senses, when you sort of don't plan well and when you act in haste and when you're trying to finish an operation for whatever reason faster than it should be finished, 
you're setting the stage for mistakes like this. Okay, um, before we move on to the next bunch of things that we're going to discuss um, in Hafta, just want to announce, uh, this is episode 49. Next week is episode 50 of News Laundry Hafta. First of all, thank you all so much for your support and making Hafta uh, something that I is looked forward to I think this is a good place for the speaking of support. Uh, we have a letter. Oh yes, well, I'll just finish this announcement and then Madhu will read out a letter because from one of our listeners. Independent media. Uh, so we're uh, for episode 50, we're inviting two of our subscribers and this is only open for subscribers to join us on the next Hafta. Uh, all you have to do is write uh, in 60 words explaining why independent media is important in the world and send it to us at contact at newslaundry.com. Uh, two of these entries will be selected by a lucky draw um, to be on Hafta. Uh, because we want to know what you think, you have supported us and as you know News Laundry is a public funded enterprise because when corporations pay, corporations are served and when the public pays, the public is served and that is the ugly reality of news, feel free to disagree Ajay uh, because <laughs> your model is I'm, different. I'm completely in agreement with this. Okay, so support independent media, support News Laundry or whoever of your choice and apart from Hafta, we at News Laundry also have another fortnightly podcast called Global Summits, where are we going in collaboration with Birad Swain. In this podcast series, we cut through the jargon and break down development summits for you with experts and commentators from around the world. And now Madhu will read out a letter from a subscriber uh, who wrote in to us. Yeah. Madhu, this email I got, uh, he's written, why should we have independent media? When I was a kid and someone explained to me news, north, east, west, south, meaning N-E-W-S, I could easily understand that incidents and happenings across the country globe would be termed as news. However, it had been for current news, if it had been for current TV news, it could be called NDTV, pun intended, news for, by, and to people of New Delhi. Hmm. Watching news should be viewing and listening to stories. Currently, what we consume today is four to five people talking, shouting, fighting, yelling, and all we can sum up as maro, 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 which doesn't require television. We could do the same through radio or a podcast. Independent media would be by the people, for the people, and to the people, unlike corporate media where to, for, and by are by business and corporate supports. Regards, Sachin Bajpai. Thank you, Sachin Bajpai. On that thought, uh, we'll move on to the next subject. Manisha, why don't you come in? We have a whole bunch of stuff that happened this week. I would like to know this. Someone's listed the Vice piece, Trashing Times now, but if you haven't read that, Go on with any any story that you thought is noteworthy. It's not really trashing. It's I haven't read critiquing. the It's a nice critique. Yeah, well, before that, I think um, one thing, though I'm generally not in favor of talking too much about AAP and being Delhi-centric, but uh, the AAP government striking of 62 criteria uh, management quota on private schools is a great piece of news, which didn't deserve, which didn't get the space it deserved. And some of the... By great news, you mean that it was a good move on his part? I think it was a great move. And I'll tell you why. I just wanted to read out some of the uh, criteria that they've struck out. Uh, this is admission for nursery kids in schools. And here are the criteria. Parents with proficiency in music and sports. Parents' education. Both parents should be working. Status of a child. And the nursery kids. So I don't know how they what does assign mean by status, status to children. Okay. I don't know. Uh, mother's qualification. Attitudes and values. Um, scholar students, again, nursery kids. So how are you deciding who's a scholar student, who isn't? 
So and there, there lots of them. There's vegetarian. Do they smoke? Do they stay up at night? I've seen. Yeah, some of the criteria were similar. Similar cultural ethos is also one of the criteria. So I think it's great that they've got rid of this really arbitrary set of criteria that allows you to discriminate. No, well, there are two points. There are two points here. One is that um, there was a case already that had been given a stay order by the High Court that because they're private institutions, it is illegal for the government to pass. They, to interfere in private institutions which do not take their funding, so they have no right to interfere with whatever admission process they. It's it's against their constitutional rights because they're running a private uh, institution. They have no right to interfere. That's point one. Two, there was a stay order, which means that stay order means stay. So how does Arvind Kejriwal then wake up when people's admissions, all the kids' admissions, are, are have just been almost completed? The final deadline date is January twentieth. And two weeks before that, he puts everybody in utter confusion when all the applications are in, and now suddenly the criteria, which he should have reacted a year ago, and if he was going to do this, done it a year ago, and now he's thrown everything off, which means that the admissions will not take place. I I agree. It is, it is wrong it is, timing, yeah. and. And it's unconstitutional because the High Court has already passed it. No, I don't, I don't know, know if it's, it's unconstitutional. unconstitutional. It is. It may be wrong timing. It's not unconstitutional. Well, it is. It, it, it's the government has said that he has no legal say in what the private schools do. The government has said. The uh, Supreme Court. No, they haven't said. That. They have said that there's a stay order. There's a stay order on the earlier. On the basis of the fact that in private institutions, the local, the Delhi government cannot interfere. Delhi and it's in the judgment. High court has said you can't micromanage. Yeah, it's not a blanket that you can't say because you can say because when land is given for institutional purposes, you are you. It is subsidized. It is not. They haven't bought land like you know 80 crores in the middle of Delhi for 500 crores. It institutional land is given on certain terms and conditions. Someone I know was given institutional land to start a news organization. He couldn't. The land was taken back because he couldn't, you know, go some of the criteria. So it is. I think it is very badly timed. But I don't think it because th this is what opens up the, you know, this thing for bribery. If I have, you know, if I can take whoever I want, I can say these are the criteria. Ab tum knowledge khatam hai lunga. No, but so when I he came into power, he he ran on a campaign. I remember it clearly that he said he is going to create more hospitals and schools in Delhi. Not one school has been created. Teachers are not being paid for three months in government schools. What is going on? Why he's doing an Indira Gandhi move that if underprivileged can't have it, nobody is going to have it. But why can't the underprivileged have it? They aren't mutually exclusive. No, but then why isn't he doing one? Yeah, what I'm saying is, why isn't he taking exclusive? the first step? Why are the schools not teachers not being paid? How does he expect with a minimal salary that they get? Which is hardly subsistence. Yeah, but that is a, even that is being held yeah, back. Jhagda, Over some jhagda going on. That has been happening. So, you guys are getting messed so up so in the middle. That's the last six months between the center, the MCD, exactly. and the Delhi state. So what I'm saying is so that we is were, not. We did not vote him in for him to fight with people and and hold up salaries of people who are living on a subsistence. Yeah, level. but I think this Anything, it wasn't. This but, is, but this wasn't underreported. I I think it was covered live, if I'm not wrong. It wasn't no, underreported. It was fully covered. I and saw I saw it in the city pages, hmm. but uh, I'm not all for the fairness. Yeah, what do you think? I think his fairness doctrine is good, <coughs> but I'm saying that if you're going to do a fairness doctrine, first fix your government schools. First do what That's, you're supposed to do. Before That's, you start fiddling, you know it's it is true that a lot of the private schools mm. uh, use this government quota and sort of don't really do a good job of educating children from the low, less privileged classes, and I think that there is a lot of anger against this, and Kejriwal is trying to tap into some of that. Mm. 
But I also agree with Madhu that uh, a more a sort of sensible and a sane way of doing it would be to revitalize government schools to make sure that teachers are well educated right. and paid and incentivize people Capacity to come and join building. the school. I think that's yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. I don't understand the sense of having these quotas. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, I, I, but I if somebody has a private quotas. institution and wants to thoroughly mismanage that private institution, that's the private institution's problem. Yeah, they can mismanage it, but I think but having arbitrary want... ways of admissions leads, opens the door for bribery. That's the only thing. Which, that's you know, probably happens. true. That's uh, probably so EWS, true. No, I think with these rulings, there is what I'm seeing on the ground uh, reality that there is more corruption planned and how, how parents are going to get their kids in. So, but Madhu, I it's also true that, India, so that one, admissions are a major source of income a, for these schools. Everyone knows it's such a corrupt way that people mm. can, you know, play it's their way. It's a handful of absolutely. schools that absolutely. don't you have a transparent system of why are you allowing people in on this basis, just like it is IITs, you know, there is no scope for... It's called, like but for example, also, when I was in DU, they said that I can't name the person because I have to go back and prove it. There are two seats. And every year, there are two seats. Local no, no, I agree with the corruption but, but point. But it's also true, it's also true that removing a handful of criteria will we not solve the bribery problem. They're, people are very ingenious and, and, when and it comes to And just by the way, there are two bribery. places that I've been closely associated with, where, for example, in Bangalore Law School, the reservation uh, quota has actually worked. Because what they do is not just fulfill the quota and pass the reservation kids um, without uh, 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 merit because each student is uh, for each subject gets a senior who takes him through it and by the time they leave that guardian they, ward relationship yes and they, by the time they leave they, I, I know a boy who was a, a construction laborer's son when he started barely know, knows new english because of this mentoring uh, guardian system he is now in Bombay in ICICA Bank. He's put four siblings through school and college. He's making good money. It can happen if it's done properly. In school also, I've seen with the um, economic uh, weaker, I've seen that in, in the school that I'm my uh, granddaughter goes to, I've seen that the kind of inclusiveness and uh, special effort that is made socially, uh, I think in my experience, limited experience albeit, it is working. It can work, but it. Uh, yeah, sorry, you were saying, Arunab. No, I, mean, I don't. I mean, I, uh, about this 25% uh, reserve seats for EWSSC, I don't think it's. I mean, uh, <coughs> anecdotally, it may have worked at one place or other, but uh, according to a recent study uh, to, for, for the year 2015 16, 1500 schools uh, violated the law. By, sorry? Uh, by this organization called Indus Action, uh, which works in the field of uh, education. Uh, 1500 schools uh, violated uh, the law out of a uh, total of 2600 schools. And uh, there are a total of 43,000 seats, uh, and only 17,500 seats got filled last year. Yeah, I mean, I do think this EWS, there was a huge case two years ago that one of these schools, one of the most well-known schools of Delhi, was having evening class for the EWS because the parents of the rich kids didn't want the poor kids sitting in the same class. I mean, that The point is that if there were enough good mm -hmm. government schools and every yeah. kid got a chance to go to school, Absolutely. then yeah. all this panic and hysteria wouldn't be there on criteria. That every child must go to what school. What else do you a good talk school. about? Uh, other than this, Manisha. Well, the Newsar Peace and Vice is quite interesting. Have you read it, Rajan? <laughs> the Newsar Peace and Vice? Vice has reviewed the news. I haven't read it either. Could just tell our viewers what it is and then it's we can get trash. it. It's not trashing. I don't know what you think, Manisha. Um, I don't think it's trashing it. I think it's a good critique. It is? Yeah. They, they've called it's it. It's not telling us anything we don't know. We, we, they've called it Fox on, on, on steroids. steroids. Okay. But you know, Arundhati Roy, if I'm not mistaken, has said that long time ago. Fox right. on acid. 
kids say. Okay. So, what, so, what yeah, does it say? Like, I like this one line. So, it's basically just talking about times now and Arnab and what the channel and who the editor-in-chief is. We all know what that is. But it's just interestingly written. It's a little different from the usual Arnab trashing. And there's this one, uh, he's talking about Arnab. And he's like, his shouting is elevated to a kind of higher truth. The show is billed as super prime time and its host is trumpeted by the channel, Times Now, as the man who holds the powerful to account, the man who's truly standing up for the people of India. This means that it's never Arnab who wants an answer from a politician, it is India or the people <laughs> or the country. The country's nice. perceived enemies are viciously attacked. Pakistan is derided as terrorist rogue fail straight. In fact, a friend of Arnab says he's happy to see Indians bomb fall, Indian bombs fall on Islamabad. So it's just basically, it's just... Him being quite... Uh, Ajay, I've never seen you on Times now. Why? I don't go on Times now as a matter of principle. Why? Because I don't like to be a prop for Sarnav's <laughs> show. Circus. I think the guests there are really, in many cases, just there as props. The Pakistanis are there as punching bags. Hmm. Uh, the Indian hawk fringe is there. You know what they're going to say even before they open their mouth. Hmm. And it's... It's all a, a repeat of a well-worn drama that is played out every day. And only occasionally do you get a show that explores new aspects. Mm. Have you been on it? I've been on it twice. Arunab doesn't call me anymore after I... I think I've been on it two, three times. Yeah, after I wrote that piece, roasting him. So those who haven't watched Newsar, I mean, Vice is obviously addressing, uh, writing to an audience which probably hasn't ever watched Newsar. So it starts off with this line, which I think is quite genius. If you've never seen the news are, then imagine nine disembodied heads surrounded by flames <laughs> screaming at you in a format and colour configuration that looks like a pub fruit machine. <laughs> then imagine one large head in the middle that controls all the other heads and shouts more than them and at greater volume. So that's like, it completely gives you a good picture of... It's very great very it's just, yeah, it's Is there any other channel that you don't go on to as a matter of principle? Uh, no. No, that's the no. only one. That's the only I one. I see. Okay, um, interesting. Uh, Arunab, any, anything else that you want to discuss that made the news that caught your eye or thought was ridiculous? I think we could talk about the Malda riots because uh, there seem to be a lot of narratives about it. Yes. Tell us, do you think it is underreported as there has been criticism that when Dadri happens, it's wall to wall, when Malda happens, it's... I don't think it was underreported. Also, I think it's not fair to compare to Dadri. Because uh, there is a situation, there is a, a situation of communal tension. I think uh, a lot of reporter friends who are reporting from there have told me that they've exercised a certain amount of caution because you know, because it doesn't help you know to report and then you know say because the situation flares up. But what he also told me was because of Twitter these days, because that age-old principle of not reporting on communal uh, violence doesn't work anymore. Uh, so, so that uh, that journalistic principle of not reporting to uh, too much and uh, with too much details on. Uh, a communal riot or, or situation of communal tension doesn't work anymore because there's so much of misinformation on Twitter. So these days, I mean, journalists have proactively taken the stand to put the information out because to counter misinformation, you have to counter it with right information. Right. So I suppose in that sense, I suppose perhaps, yes, there, there, we could have seen a little more reporting than we have, particularly on uh, television. And why do you think that is? Do you think it's because the community dynamic was reversed or because of what? Why is it? Or no. people are scared of Mamtadi? No, I don't think so because because this place where this, this I think this is a much uh, 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 the, the, the multiple layers to the whole uh, uh, story because uh, this place where it's happening I've been to that place it's called uh, uh, it's called Kalia Chowk. 
So it's 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 that corridor where you know drug trafficking happens, where drug from drugs from Bangalore uh, from Bangladesh. I'm sorry, comes in. So uh, apparently. Uh, the police has cracked down the drug mafia there, which is, uh, and that is also a reason why the, the police uh, station was attacked. Mm. So I, I think it's a story that deserves more attention, at least in terms of you know more reportage. I'm not saying you know take right. sides, but it, it's Madhu, a story what that could think? explore more. Underreported. I think so. I think mm. it's underreported. Why do you think? Um, actually, I'd, uh, okay. Mm. I have no idea. I mean, I think um, uh, there's a lot of bhedchal in in uh, our media that uh, very often that if two, three people follow it, everybody feels that they have to do it. Mm. So I think a lot of under-reporting happens because of that. I think it was also overtaken by Pathan Kot. Mm. You think yeah. that's the reason? Yeah, that's it. What do you think, Ajay, on this um, Mufti Mohammed Saeed's passing? What well, do you think is going to happen That is an under-reported story for yeah. sure. Yeah, that Today, was under-reported. You know, what do you yeah. think is going to happen now to their party to the well, I think BJP that, uh, alliance. He set the stage quite adequately for his daughter to to uh, take over, hmm. uh, and she has the the support of large sections of the party as well. So I don't think this is going to cause huge ripples within the party, but certainly uh, in terms of the the PDP's ability to engage with other parties and to sort of Which have a dialogue at, going. Yeah, yeah. He was the the network for that. Yeah, she's a bit hot-headed. She's not just hot-headed, she's not regarded with as much uh, respect and, and sort of attention as the Mufti was. But, uh, I mean, this was on the cards. I mean, it was almost yeah. like he was, he had been, uh, when he was forming the government with the BJP, it was almost like he knew his days were numbered. You think it'll impact the government? I beg your pardon? Do you think it will impact the stability of the government? The, uh, look, the government's stability is, in any case, even earlier was, uh, was uh, I mean, it was it was propped up there by a certain set of forces, mm. but it can't be called a stable representative government. It was enormously antagonistic to itself in various ways. Right. So I don't think that has changed in any significant respect. Okay. Um, uh, Manisha, do you think it was underreported, Malda? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I didn't see much of it, but I'm guessing it's because of Pathan Court. Do you, do you think the, the, the earthquake in Manipur was underreported? Yeah, I think... Certainly, this, yeah, definitely. What earthquake? Nice. Well, ironically, it was an earthquake in Northeast and uh, North Manipur, so that's how uh, it was referred to as a Northeast earthquake in most places. Well, yeah, but, but I mean, to be honest, when there's an earthquake, you know, which shakes Delhi and Punjab, it, they do say earthquake in North India, they don't say earthquake in Delhi. Oh, no, but the way the Nepal earthquake was covered, as compared to this one, there's a big difference. But, there was, uh, but the devastation earthquake. But I think the well, I would say that a, a, a good media and certain sections of the media that pride themselves on being more responsible, knowing how little coverage Manipur gets, should have taken a conscious editorial decision to use this occasion to focus some attention That's on Manipur. True. You know, on a related note, Ajay was there on the panel and uh, Arunab uh, covered the story and probably the report will go out today on Anubhav Hosle's book on Manipur. Right. Um, now, you were on a panel uh, which had uh, former Home Secretary Pillai uh, and you've been in the forces and you took a position that you can, and for our listeners who weren't there, Ajay recounted when he was a serving officer, uh, they used to go on their, you know, missions or reconnaissance missions, Ruby Kete, Nagaland, Manipur border, patrols. So you were, you know, half the time you were this side of the border, half the time you were that side, so you were working both. When you were on the Nagaland side of the border, you were not covered by AFSPA. When you were on the Manipur side, you were covered by AFSPA. 
So you were okay with AFSPA going? Uh, I think that you can AFSPA operate. Is a, it's, a, it's a red herring, you know. Okay. There are much bigger problems and much more soluble problems in Kashmir than AFSPA. AFSPA is a, it's an insignificant issue. If you remove AFSPA today, it will not, in my opinion, affect the functioning of the forces to any major degree. But the forces have but, to oppose you, it because the forces yeah, do oppose it. But you don't think it would be un unfair, and I only ask you this because I've spent a lot of time shooting with the forces. You know, I did a 26 episodes uh, TV series with armed forces, so I, you know, I've been with the para commandos, with you know, the gunners, with with the garuds. In fact, I read an article people saying people don't know what garuds are for. They are, you know, not trained for either this or that. But uh, so I spoke to many of them. Well, they do think it's politicized, and they can't air those opinions in public, and they they don't have the kind of yeah. digging in their heel views that our uh, bureaucrats and the government does. Mm. But I do remember a couple of them saying that it does make them feel a little comfortable because they said once firing starts, because those of them who had seen action for the first time mm. in the valley, dude, you're just firing. You don't know where that bullet will go. You, and at that time, if you kill some you know, innocent villager or something of the sort, mm. AFSPA at least insulates me. Abhinandan, the, the forge needs to train a little better. Okay. If as a soldier I fire a bullet and I don't know where it's going, hmm. then there's something seriously Imagine wrong with that. the bullets come from all over the place, you know, in the middle of the action, a 22-year-old no. kid. These are, these are arguments that are made to keep AFSPA in place. Hmm. Uh, the real truth is that it's a political decision. Hmm. When you remove AFSPA, the forces will certainly have to operate with a little more caution. You'll have to be now. a little more careful. Right. And that might result in the odd militant escaping or getting away or so on. But you're reaping a much larger political benefit in terms of public perception. I see. And this is therefore a political and a public decision that what is more important to you at this point, killing that odd militant or getting the benefits of public perception and support. Yeah. Um Anyone else want to go? Sorry, before that, on again, there um, there was a lot of journalists in that room, uh, and again, all the journalists said the Northeast doesn't get enough coverage. Before that, Kishle launched his book. Uh, Arun Abhinmi was there for that launch. All the journalists said Northeast doesn't get enough coverage. Every gathering I've been to on a book on launch on Northeast, everyone agrees. Yet nothing happens. Why? I mean, this is to the panel. Manisha, Arunab, you're from the Northeast. I suppose Kishale explained it rather well, you know, say something happening in the Arunachal border and you have a correspondent stationed in Guwahati. By the time, you know, you get to Arunachal, I mean, it's over. So I suppose uh, connectivity is an issue, you know, although it's, I suppose, not a big enough issue to say that we can't cover, but it's, that's so an it's issue. It's not apathy. Apathy is, I mean, I think it's evident. a traditional apathy because that whole area was neglected for decades. And suddenly we're using terms like Northeast, uh, all, all these terms which were never in journalistic balance in the la last 20 years ago. Nobody even considered it an issue unless there was some, you know, crisis going on. So it, traditionally we've ignored it. Jawaharlal Nehru started by ignoring it. Uh -uh. So it then just... he discovered tribal hats yeah, and dancing. Yeah, mm. so <laughs> that's all he did with it. Maintained, followed some British archaeologists, uh, anthropologists who told him don't disturb them, let them stay tribal. And I think that that stayed for too long. I think that and was his biggest problem. I think we're He's just now, we're now waking up to it. And at least we're waking up to it. I, I, I'm, I'm the last person to say at least. Have you been there, Madhu? To the Northeast? No, I haven't. Have, have you? Oh, you, of I've course, you served there. Yes. For? And, uh, years. Years. 
And I went back as a journalist and lived for a year in Arunachal Pradesh. Oh, nice. Where? In uh, near a place called Dirang near Tawang. Yeah, yeah. Dirang. In fact, I'm, in fact that's a very small village. That's a very small. I've, I've shot in Dirang at the uh, the village, uh, the Sarpanch's house, and he was hacking. It was winter. Huh. They store that yak meat. Yeah. And I said, I'm hungry, let's eat something. I saw that I had an appetite. I could not eat a thing. <laughs> they, you know, store, store the interest at the top, the oobs are there. Yeah. Oh, oh my God, Dirang, what a coincidence. I lived there for a year. You lived in Dirang for a year? Yeah. yeah. Wow, okay. Yeah. Manisha, have you been there? No, I haven't, actually. Okay, and you know, one more thing that um, I think, you know, ignorance is bliss sometimes. In that panel discussion, they said you can't drive around Manipur because there's this threat and all. We were just in two jeeps driving and we had gone to shoot. No one was there to advise us. We, to drove, through, drove, we drove through the whole thing. No one said anything to us. You know, I, the saving grace of the Northeast has been <laughs> that India has not discovered it yet. Hmm. When India discovers the Northeast, <laughs> there will be mayhem there. <laughs> no, but on that panel, a lot of people said that I think there was a gentleman from the Congress who said you can't go out without security or there's a threat, you'll get kidnapped. There were 10 of us in two vehicles with two camera teams. We drove like Manipur, Nagaland, Arunachal. No one said anything to you us. You know, when I was a captain in Nagaland, which was considered to be a very hot insurgency, I took my, against the rules, private motorcycle there. And the first two or three times I went out and drove in civvies on my private motorcycle road, everybody watched me very carefully, the villagers. And then the village headman called me and said, you know, you must be wondering whether you're safe. Hmm. Well, let me tell you, as long as you're in civilian clothes, you're safe. So oh. we will not attack you when you're in civilian clothes and we trust you to reciprocate that courtesy. Nice. Because I love that place, man. It's just amazing. It's, it's the amazing. best holiday to go to. It's amazing. The only thing is it's just so badly connected that most people never go there. But you know, this is the, the, the great thing. Everybody in the army who goes and serves in Jammu and Kashmir ends up hating the place. And you serve in the Northeast, and you do the same counterinsurgency operations, but you come back loving the place. Interesting. Manisha, um, what do you want to go with? I just two quick things to discuss uh, before I do that. Um, um, what next? Nothing. So there's this one uh, piece that I'd like to share, actually, uh, which came out in the Washington Post. Uh, it's by Barton, S-W-A-I-M. How do I pronounce his surname? Swami. Swaim. Okay. I'm the Swami one. S-W-A-I-M. Swami. Swaim. Swaim. Okay, Swami. <laughs> so it, it's a headline, it's time to curb this widely committed journalistic sin. And the widely committed journalistic sin is, is to use... headlines. No, is to use the word widely. <laughs> which I do a lot of times too. Sometimes Please the word widely. You know, this widely is widely believed, believed widely right. thought. Just because of, you believe. Widely believed. Nice. Just because every time journalists don't have any attribution or any real understanding of what they're talking they just about, want you to just push say a point and widely believe. And he starts off saying that you know, as a kid, when you're trying to win an argument, you everyone often tell, knows. Yeah, exactly. Ask everyone anyone. Says, you know, so he's anyone. like, this is journalist way of saying, ask anyone. This is uh, I, I don't point. take names right now, but. One of my colleagues who was used to work with Newstrack as well when I used to work for Mother Newstrack, when we had any debate about such and such Neta's doing this, I said, how do you know? Everyone knows? Yeah. I said, no, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's widely known. Yeah, widely known. So it makes the case for stop using Just widely like everyone known. everyone knows you're an arm dealer. Yeah. <laughs> it's widely believed. It's widely believed. <laughs> and Barkha did this in her interview with Salvinder Singh. Huh. Because she was asking him, she was cornering him basically. Hmm. And of course, while cornering him, she, she didn't want to lose him either hmm. and have him stomp off. So she'd start quite a few questions with, 
लोग कह रहे हैं कि आपका आ, कि आप जो बोल रहे हैं बिल्कुल कहानी आप आप सही नहीं हो सकती लंबी लंबी फेंक रहे हैं लोग कह रहे हैं इट वाज वाज आई आई ऑफ द नेशन वांट्स टू नो या शी वाज लाइक दिस इज आई एम नॉट आस्किंग यू पूछरा मैं पूछना भी नहीं चाहता पर क्योंकि ये बात हो गई थी तो मुझे पूछना पड़ा आई सेट गिव अ लॉन्ग स्पीच अपॉलोजाइज फॉर इवन आस्किंग मैं सॉरी मैं आपको पूछ रहा हूँ माफ़ करना पर मुझे पूछना पड़ेगा एंड देन जस्ट पॉज देन आस्क द क्वेश्चन एंड वी चॉप ऑफ ऑल योर मखन बाजी टू आस्क द क्वेश्चन टू काम हिम डाउन एंड देन यूल आंसर टोटली I thought the national anthem insulted story is really good, Arunab. Well done. I think you spoke yeah, to all sides. Yeah, it's a good story. I don't know if you've read it, but there was this New Indian Express, uh, which Mr. Chawla edits, had a piece that national anthem had been insulted, and uh, you know, uh, Mola, a, a guy who teaches in Madras, Madras, a teacher, had been bashed up because he was teaching kids to sing the national anthem. And then Arunab spoke to me, and then everyone ran with that story. Mm. And then Arunab spoke to several people there. You know, he still said that he was. bashed up because he was pr- propagating liberal islam but the way the story played out was not you know so it was misreported i haven't read it yet but i will go back and read it ajay what sure. do you think of uh, an incident we discussed in a couple of haftas away uh, ago um where a family refused to get up for a national anthem in a movie hall and they were asked to leave hmm. what do you think Heckle, did you see the video that these are really difficult questions i'm a, i have to say that with my upbringing and my soldier's background uh, for me it's it goals i would have somebody. joined the crowd and kicking them out yeah, I, i mean <laughs> no question you are a heckler <laughs> i'm not a heckler i have this thing about I, the I national anthem the flag <laughs> i am also a heckler would you be a heckler i am I not a ashamed of jingoism when it comes to the flag and the national anthem hmm and if somebody is disrespecting it i'll tell you it would happen in any country if you think america's liberal they might be burning their own flag but if somebody is not standing to attention when they would be more than beaten up i uh, here's where i differ from madhu i would make him stand to attention but i would feel ashamed of it <laughs> <laughs> i see and feel ashamed of of uh, of having been a bully been a part of a mob a <laughs> no i would be of very being a heckler and being a part of a mob i'd be very <laughs> satisfied i'd be leading the mob matakta hua sir i'd be leading the mob khade ho nahi to char thappad milenge and the second uh, story i want to talk about just mention is also arnabs and that i plead guilty and i think we owe sachin kalbag an apology uh, where you know we did that whole story marani partha sarthi resigns and of course this is a small part of the story but you know someone we spoke to several people within the organization and they said that there was this showdown and sachin said it never happened and we should have checked with sachin before so that since we pat ourselves on the back we should also kick ourselves in the ass once in a while right so that's a kick in the ass for us uh, sorry sachin uh, well, we should sachin have said there was no showdown no there wasn't and you showdown. wrote there was a showdown yeah where did you get it from abhi source from the village sab kehte hain nahi it is widely heard it was widely heard <laughs> 
from one person who widely said it. <laughs> More one person. Uh, yeah, but anyway, uh, so was it true? We don't know that they, they, you know. But, but no, yeah. I, I admit I, I made a mistake. I should have definitely asked such a. No, my bad. I should take the blame for that. Uh, so before we wind up, Ajay, is there anything you want to recommend to our audience that you've read that's spectacular, other than your columns, which people must read? And I must recommend Serial to you, uh, which is a fantastic podcast. You'll love it. But I love your writing. I think actually, I think Business Standard has really good Thank columnists. You. Thank you. Uh, anything you have to suggest to our viewers before we say goodbye? Well, I just think that the the the, uh, the, the big story of this week. Uh, also has been just a passing mention as you close uh, the way that Delhi has unconsciously unthinkingly fallen behind this odd even Rude, scheme yeah. I was impressed. I'm completely impressed but today with I saw a lot of odd numbered cars I was quite disappointed they, they, I, we don't know what the thing was and and maybe they belong to a doctor maybe they belong to uh, there was a lady driving you can't say but I, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed with Delhi as my, a result of this. My home to office commute is like 10, 12 minutes each way now. It's a, it's it's a delight a to drive in Delhi now. On a bike? No, in the car. Or on the auto. I, I took auto day before yesterday. So that was like... No, I think... Like I see in uh, Medanta, doctors are carpooling. Hmm? That's great. And uh, the carpooling actually gets them to do a lot of their paperwork done because they have, you know, their meetings in the car yeah. instead That's of in the hospital. Actually, right. So, I, in one way, it's very beneficial. Uh, Manisha Arunab, anything you want to suggest to our listeners? You've already suggested to Manisha Arunab. No, I can't think of anything immediately. Okay, on that note, we'll say goodbye. Remember to take part in our episode 50 if you're a subscriber because we want to know what you think. Write to us in 60 words why independent media is important. Send in the entries to contact at News Laundry. Make and it funny. Make it funny, yes. Two subscribers will join us on the episode. What's the song? When the public pays, the public is served. And when corporations pay, corporations are served. Uh, thank you, Karthik, for producing this. Check out our other podcast um, with Biraj Swain about international summits. Where are we going? And we leave you today with the song, which is for our jingoistic friends. Thank you. Here goes. Hey, vatan, hey, vatan, Episodes of NL Hafta on newslaundry.com and follow us on Twitter and Facebook.